This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. How much land do you need to hunt? The answer might surprise you. On this episode, I'm going to talk about how to hunt and be very successful on small properties. Welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today we're going to talk about small parcel hunting, how to hunt a small property. Now, how small is small? Is 30 acres small? Is 10 acres small? Is 5 acres small? What's the definition of a small property? Well, if you want to get real technical about it, a small property for deer hunting is defined as anything less than about 1,500 acres. You might say, well, wait a minute, 1,500 acres is enormous. It's enormous to you, but it's not enormous to whitetails. Anything less than about 1,500 acres, now it varies based on what part of the country and and the topography and the weather and all those factors, but that's a fair average. If, it's, you, if, if the piece of land is smaller than 1,500 acres, then you are not encompassing the 24-hour-a-day, the 365-day-a-year lifespan and movement cycle of a white-tailed deer. So anything less than 1,500 acres, deer are spending part of their life off of your property. So you have to use some small parcel, small property techniques and strategy as a part of what you're doing, no matter what size it is, if it's smaller than that. Now, for the purpose of this uh, particular episode, I'm talking about what a lot of people would call micro parcels, anything between maybe 50 or 5 and 50 acres. Anything between about five acres and 50 acres is what I'm, I'm focusing in on here. But these same strategy and tips 
will be useful for you hunting anything under 1500 acres. And say you've got one acre to hunt. Can you hunt one acre? You can absolutely hunt one acre. An acre is about 208 feet by 208 feet, if it's square. 200 by 200 feet. Now, if you're hunting with a bow, you can't shoot 200 feet. If you're hunting with a rifle in the state of Pennsylvania, statistically speaking, you're not likely to shoot more than 200 feet. So, depending on how you look at it, one acre can be all you need to hunt and to hunt well. But we, we've got this thing in our minds that we got to have more land. We need a lot more space. We need, you know, dozens and hundreds of acres to hunt effectively. And sure, more property is more opportunities. There's more that can be done. There's more you can do with that. Um, you know, there are advantages absolutely to having more property. I would rather have 500 acres than five to hunt on. But that 500 doesn't necessarily guarantee that I would be more successful than the five if it was the right five and the right mix of situations and circumstances and strategy and things that you can do in order to make the most of that. So, how do you hunt small properties? Well, number one, what do you have now? What is that property? What is on that piece of land? Whatever the size, if, if it's 10 acres, if it's 40 acres, what is on your property? Do an assessment. What do you have regarding the, the vital components of deer habitat and deer movement and deer life and deer needs that you can offer? Do you have cover? Deer have to have cover. Do you have food? Obviously, they need food. Do you have bedding areas? Do you have corridors for uh, movement corridors? Do you have habitat improvements? Do you have water? What do you have? What is on your property? Do you have safety? Do you have lower hunting pressure than anyone else? What's on your property that you can use, that you can leverage? You might say, I got nothing. I got just a useless piece of scrub land that's a couple acres with a house on the corner and, you know, there's nothing there. There's always something. You've got empty space. You just have fallow fields for... 15 acres and that's it. You know, you might think, well, that's useless. Well, you can do something with that. You've got space. That is that is an asset. If you have fallow fields that have nothing on them, that's space. You can do something with space and you can do it very cost effectively. Do you have cover? Do you have mature hardwoods? You know, people say, well, you know, if you have just acres of mature hardwoods, that's terrible deer habitat. It is except for the couple weeks a year where they're dropping acorns. And if you can add maybe even just a little bit of cover, you can turn that into a deer oasis for a few weeks a year, hunt that time period instead of when everybody else is hunting, and then you can, you can see success that, you know, just punching above your weight class in terms of what's on your property. So what do you have? What can you draw from? Do you have fruit trees? Do you have food plots? Do you have places you could plant clover? Do you have, you know, what? What's there? Think about it in terms of assets. What do you have? You're like, well, I just have pine trees. Okay. Deer need pine trees for thermal cover when the weather's bad. 
You could hunt storm fronts. You could you could set up hunting strategies based on the weather and and being where they're going to be moving at that time and, and, and before and after those periods of times. There's always something you can do. So you want to think, okay, what do I have? Number two, what do your neighbors have? And I don't just mean this in terms of the advantages that your neighbors have over you. I mean, what do they have that you can use to your advantage? I remember one person's property, they had just basically just this useless bunch of hardwoods. It was like a couple hundred feet wide by, you know, a couple hundred acres long. And it was pretty much, in their mind and pretty much everybody else's mind, it was garbage land. There was no cover. There was no food. There was no way to plant food without a lot of work and cutting down and logging and moving. The stuff that was there was pretty lame. It was just for all intents and purposes, uh, a useless deer parcel in their mind. But one neighbor on the one side of their property was uh, was a farm. They are always planting crops. There was always food there. There was corn, soybeans, whatever. They're always planting food. The other side was just thick brush, untended land, just hard to move through. Well, the deer would bed in the thick stuff and they would eat in the fields and they would cross this person's land in order to, to go back and forth. So what he did was he did some strategic tree cutting in order to um, basically create funnels on his land. So deer, you know, you've got a few hundred acres and you've got a couple deer a day that go across it. There's, it's hard to hunt that. But if you can make it, if you can, you know, make two or three choke points where, okay, if a deer wants to get from the bedding to the food, they've got to go through a choke point. Well, then they were able to create a choke point strategy on their micro parcel of land and they're able to hunt those funnels so that every deer had to go through one of those choke points in order to get to, to the food or bedding. And then they were able to hunt the choke points. All of a sudden, they had a great deer parcel because the deer are eating all over these hundreds of acres of food and they're bedding all over this uh, you know large property of just heavy, thick brush bedding area. You couldn't pin them down in either of those two spots. But the choke point in between, he actually ended up with the best hunting property of both of his neighbors. So he was using what his neighbors had to his advantage. So do your neighbors have food? Do your neighbors have cover? Do your neighbors have water? What do your neighbors have that's going to impact deer movement? And then what can you do to key off of that, to draw off of that? If the deer are always in your neighbor's field, you know, at four o'clock, you know, in their backyard even, eating, okay, where do they come from and where do they go? Work on that. What can we do to influence their movement patterns? Is there something we can give them? Is there something that we can entice them with? Is there there's something that we can do to, to create the cover maybe so that they bed on our land and then they move there to eat and then we can hunt them when they move? You know, what do your neighbors have and use it to your advantage? Number three, is there a movement already on the property and it just you haven't noticed it or it needs to be defined or focused. Do you already have deer movement? Chances are there are deer going through just about every property down to an acre in 
in most places, I mean, if you're far enough away from houses to hunt, there are probably deer going through that area. So what, what are the movement patterns? When did they come? Is it defined? Is it regular? Is there any regularity to it? Or is it just complete and utter randomness? And most people are going to say complete and utter randomness. But that's usually not an educated response. I'll give you an example. I was uh, just yesterday pulling trail camera photos at a small parcel, small area. It's, uh, I think, 12 acres of land. Maybe, maybe five acres of it is huntable. Well, the people that live on the land, they've seen one buck, maybe two bucks all summer, right? One or two randomly. You know, as far as they're concerned, there really aren't bucks in the area. They're, you know, maybe just puttering around here or there, just passing through, whatever it might be. But I created some movement corridors, created some focus points, put in some mock scrapes, put in some trail cameras. Uh, just yesterday, I pulled photo, or I pulled video of eight different bucks on that property. Eight, eight that have been there. Now they're not seeing them because. You know, it's, it should be no wonder bucks don't like to be seen. So just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're there. But with a little bit of strategy, a little bit of recon, with a trail camera or two in the right place, able to determine not only are there deer here, not only are there lots of deer, but they're regular. They're at certain places at certain times uh, with some regularity, able to figure out, okay, what are their patterns? So is there a movement there? There may be, and you just may have no idea about it, or it might be nighttime movement, or it might be just when you're not outside. So, you know, figuring that out. Is there something already there where all you got to do is set up a stand or a blind, and then you can take advantage of it? Number four, what can you do or provide the deer with? Everything up until this point has just been strategy. Now it's what can you actually do? What can what modifications can you make? Can you plant something? Can you put something up? Can you create some mock scrapes? Could you add a water hole? Can you um, take down some some trees in order to create side cover? In order to create pinch points? In order to create bedding areas? What can you do? You like say, well, I don't have much or any budget do you have a chainsaw do you have an axe do you have a shovel what could you do with what you have not you know not what somebody else has but what could you do you know i have noticed from my small experience that whenever there is freshly tilled ground or recover or brush that's taken down deer are all about exploring that area for weeks i mean just just, you know, an area dug up or cut through or whatever it might be, stuff cut down. They're drawn to it, at least where I live, like moths to a flame. To the point where it is almost a hunting strategy to just go out with a brush hog and just tear down an acre of nothing, just garbage. Set up a hunting blind there and hunt the next day. That's almost a strategy because deer are just so drawn to that here. Maybe where you live, that repels them and they won't come to an area like that for weeks. 
But I am very confident that if I would just go through an area with a brush hog, I could set up a hunting blind there, and I'd have more deer, more deer there the next day than have been there for the last week. So you want to just think about, okay, it could be where you are. You just clear some stuff just to make it easier for deer to walk through it. All of a sudden, they might start using that path. So what can you do? What focus points can you put in? What focus points can you put in? Focus point is anything that narrows a deer's movement. So a mock scrape is a focus point because they're going to come from whatever a close by walking pattern or trail to sniff that, to rub their heads on that, to lick it, to, to, to you know, paw the dirt under it. You know, water hole is a focus point. Now, of course, water holes are only useful if you don't have water. So here's, here's another way to look at this. You can be a half empty or a, a half full kind of person. You know, some person would look at their land and they would say, well, there's no water on my land, so useless. Well, that's an opportunity, actually. You've got no water. So if you added water, all of a sudden you would have a resource that's not there that might not be close by. So you could put in a water hole. You could get a you know, a 100-gallon drum or a 50-gallon tank, and you could just dig it in and, and put in a water hole for, you know, whatever that might run you, 30, 40, 50 bucks, and the sweat involved to do it. And, and what you would want to do is you would want to sink that down below the dirt level. You'd want to slope the sides of the water hole into it so that when it rains, that that thing is going to catch the water that comes in from all around it and keep itself full so you don't have to be out there refilling it, which is not something you or I ever want to be doing. So, you know, you think, well, I, I have a liability because I don't have any water on my property. Well, that's an opportunity depending on how you look at it because if you add a little water, you create a focus point. Now, it's true. Deer don't need to drink most of the time. They get most of the water that they need from green forage. If they're able to eat stuff that's green, they can get most of the water that they need. But deer will drink. If it's hot enough, they'll drink. If it's just easy and opportune, they'll drink. And most importantly and specifically, around the rut, when bucks are cruising, they're covered in ground, they need water. And if they've got a convenient place they can stop to drink, you can, you can create a buck magnet in that spot. It's going to draw bucks more so than does because does aren't chasing bucks. It's the other way around. So that can be something that helps you. What can you put in a focus point to, to bring deer's attention to a place? You know, I've got a couple mock scrapes that are set up. Not every deer that walks by stops there, but a lot of them do. A lot of them do. I'd say... You know, I'm just throwing out a guess. I could do the math. I could look at every photo on those cameras of deer that stopped and sniffed or licked and didn't. But I'd say maybe 50% of every deer that walks by that mock scrape stops there. 50%. Uh, stops there, licks it, smells it, rubs it, acknowledges it in some way. Probably 50% of every deer that walks by it. Well, that's a huge influence there's no every time for anything. Deer are wild animals. They're, they're not completely predictable. There's nothing that works every time, every time. It's just, it's just not the way of it. If I can get 50% of every deer that walks through there to stop, 
and then to come back later when they're curious of who else has been by and, and rub their head on this thing, that's huge. So what kind of focal point can you add? The next place is where can you set up to make the most use of the land that you do have? So say you have a one acre, one acre piece of land, one lonely acre, 200 feet by 200 feet. Or if you're less likely, less lucky, it could be some goofy looking shape. But whatever it is, where can you set up? So if I've got a 208 foot piece of property, I want to set up, if I can, with my back against the property border. So that whatever I'm seeing in front of me, I can shoot. You know, I hate the idea of setting up on a property line, looking across the property line, tempted to shoot a game that is on the other person's side of the property. Hate that. I want to set up with my back to the border or in the corner so that everything in my field of view or in my field of fire is is legal and legit. And if I'm hunting with a rifle especially, I want to be able to, to, to shoot anything I can see. So if it's 200 feet, I want to be at the back corner of that so I can have a good arc and shoot out the 200 feet. If I'm hunting with a bow, you've got more flexibility. Or if you're hunting with a crossbow, because either way, I mean, you have a usually a, a titanium ceiling of about 50 yards when it comes to crossbow shooting. And with a, with a vertical bow, it's a little shorter than that. Well, 50 yards, that's 150 feet. So really, about 100 feet is probably your ideal shooting arc. So where can you set up to make the best use of that range and distance? Um, you know, that's, that's a consideration. You want to think about that. Okay, now based on that, because it could be, okay, you've got this property. There's really only one place. Maybe there's only one tree. Or maybe there's only one place you could set up a blind. So what are the opportunities for you to set up? And then taking everything else into account what can we modify? What can we plan for? What can we do? How can we time our hunts? So like I said, if you've got you know hardwoods and you're able to plant some switchgrass for $10 and create some cover, then okay, when do those acorns drop? Like, well, you know, George, I am uh, I'm a rifle hunter and the acorns drop in October and rifle season doesn't come in until November 15th where I live. Well, then... Go on Amazon, spend $150, get a crossbow because you are now an acorn dropping hunter. That's when you hunt, okay? That's, you know, you, you break this thing in your mind about what weapon you're using as if that matters. It's the hunt. If you've got a small parcel and you have one thing going for it, and that is you've got lots of acorns for two weeks in October and nothing else, and your land is useless for the rest of the year in terms of whitetails. You hunt those two weeks in October. That's when you hunt. It doesn't matter what you're hunting with. It doesn't matter if you're using a rifle, a crossbow, a longbow, recurve bow. It doesn't matter. You're hunting those two weeks. So whatever is legal and easiest for you to use, get that, and that's what you hunt with for those two weeks. You want to hunt rifle season? Great. Hunt rifle season somewhere else or hunt it there just realizing your chances of success are, are very low. But if you've got one thing going for you, hunt that one thing. If you've got 
uh, you know, uh, uh, a hillside of pine trees, and that's the only thing that's on your property, then you are basically hunting bad weather. So you need to be prepared to be outside in the bad weather. You need to have bad weather gear. You need to have Gore-Tex outer layers. You might need to have goggles if it's so bad. You need to have a rifle or a bow or a crossbow that is weather resistant or so cheap you don't care. And you need to be ready to hunt terrible weather whenever it happens because that's when the good deer are going to be on your land. So you need to think in terms of that. If you've got one thing and that's the only thing you've got, you've got to be able, you got to be flexible. You got to be willing to do whatever you need to do to be able to make the most of that situation and that opportunity. If you're hunting clover, you got a clover patch. Well, you are an early season hunter. I said you're an early season hunter. You want to hunt before the first frost if you can. Or not long after it because clover stops growing or slows down a lot after the first frost. And then it gets eaten away and then come rifle season there's probably not a whole lot of it left. So you're an early season hunter. Ideally, you know, opening day of archery and opening week or two is probably when you're going to do your best hunting over that clover patch. So this year I've got a clover patch I plan on hunting and that's my plan. I want to be there. I want to be I want to be hunting the summer bucks before their movement changes, before the first few frosts and everything starts laying down in the woods and the cover changes and they start to move and adjust their patterns. I want to be hunting the summer bucks in in the early season, which for me starts ridiculously early, like September 19th in my uh, management unit of PA. And that's what I'm planning to be out there because I know their movement patterns in the summer with cover, with that clover. So that's what I'm going to hunt that. I am not even in my mind ever planning to hunt that clover patch with a rifle at the end of November. It's not even a consideration right now because I know that the best time to hunt that spot, there are other spots that if I make it to rifle season and I don't, and I don't have my tags fill, of course I'll hunt in rifle season, but I've got other spots that are maybe better opportunity for that. But the clover patch, that's an early season spot because I know how that works. So you got to be flexible. You got to adjust and adapt. You got to use what you have, use what your neighbors have, make what adjustments you can make, time things as best as you can, you know, you hunt the weather, whatever you need to do in order to make the most of that small parcel. And you can take huge bucks off of small parcels. And oh, I forgot the number one most important thing you can do is pressure. You do not want to overpressure that land. That doesn't mean you don't want to hunt it, but you want to be low pressure, low impact. You want to be able to, to hunt that making as, as leaving as little scent behind, as little noise, as little sign. You do not want, if you've got a one acre property, do not sit in a ground blind smoking cigars and eating potato chips. Okay, do not do it. You, you need to do whatever you can. You need to get some scent elimination sprays. And I got news for you. They do not eliminate your scent, but they do minimize it. 
And if you've got one acre, you, you spray your boots, spray yourself, spray your face, whatever you need to do to, 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 to lessen that impact and make sure that that area is clear and you're not in that at all for the couple weeks leading up to the season. You don't want to leave any sign. You don't want to spook anything. You want to optimize your chances. And then when you are hunting, you don't want to bump deer. You want to watch the wind. You want to make sure that you don't spook anything out of there or disrupt the movement patterns that you do have to draw from. So that's how you hunt small properties, or at least that is an introduction to it. Head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Check out the show notes for this episode. Check out lots of other episodes. Please do leave me some feedback. Send me an email. Send me a Facebook comment. Please review this podcast on on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Really appreciate that. Until next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods.